0: Good morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team. It is so good to see your faces this morning. Please turn to one another. Maybe try to find a new face and say hello and say what your favorite fall cozy drink is. are really good at greeting each other good job I told Stacy I'm gonna tell everyone to greet each other for 25 minutes because sometimes I think we just need that time with each other that we don't usually get so we want to greet those who are also joining online this morning and remind those of you who are with us to fill out the yellow sheets with any new contact information that you guys have um, or if you're a new attendee and they can be placed in the collection box at the back of the sanctuary or return to the welcome desk in the lobby um, Awana is looking for a few volunteers, so please contact Pastor Aaron or Julie Meinen. Julie is sitting in the front right there. Um, Awana kickoff is Wednesday, September 7th at 6 p.m. in the Ministry Center. Um, if you have not registered your children, please drop by the church office Monday through Friday between 9.30 and 5 p.m. Sunday School for Kids, ages 2 through high school, is beginning Sunday, September 11th, in the Ministry Center. And also, next Sunday is the Ministry Fair. So for those of you who are looking to get to connected to a small group, um, let's see, a small group, or just look at the different ministries that we have available here at Maranatha, that will be next Sunday, um, and that is going to be in between services and also after second service. So check it out. Check out our ministries that we have here at Maranatha. Um, Pastor Cody is facilitating a Bible study on Wednesday nights starting September 7th at 6.05. What an interesting time to start. 6.05 in the fellowship hall, um, and it's called Learning to Study the Bible. Um, This runs the same time as Awana, so any parents who are wishing to join can do so. Everybody is welcome. Today we're also celebrating the men and women's ministry events that recently took place. Um, men's camp out uh, on the Chipper River at the Fry's Dingers on Friday and Saturday, um, August 19th through 20th was a great night sharing and fellowship with sharing and fellowship. Men please don't miss out on an opportunity to be with the men at one of these refreshing events. Also, women's Braveheart group spent the evening of Tuesday, August 16th kayaking. In one of the local lakes. The weather was perfect. And yeah, so check out those events. That's also something that will probably be shared next Sunday um, at the Ministry Fair to get connected to those things. Um, That is all I have. Wow, that felt like a lot. But if you have any questions, you can see me after and I can refresh your memory. But please, if anything, next Sunday come to the Ministry Fair and try to find ways that you can get connected here at Maranatha. I'm going to take my many notes with me now.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you, Lindsay. Um, Much like last week, uh, Pastor Tony and Cody decided to leave. So uh, here I am. Um, I'm thankful to to Pastor Cody um, for asking me to uh, share from the Word this morning. Uh, It is one of my favorite things to do is to uh, be in the Word of God, um, with the people of God in a time of sweet fellowship um, together. Uh, before we jump into our text, we're going to be uh, back in the book of, of Mark this morning. We, we kind of took a break uh, learning about some other things, so uh, y- you can turn there if you want. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. But before uh, that, I would like to share with you uh, just a brief story I th- uh, about a, a hero Of the faith. I think uh, as Christians in uh, the time in which we live, I think um, we have done a poor job, myself included, in remembering uh, heroes of the faith, not necessarily from scripture, but from the church and uh, more recent history uh, of the church. Uh, We we might know uh, certain names like John Calvin or Justin Martyr uh, or Martin Luther, uh, but we may not know other names of great men and women of the faith, and I think it's important that we uh, often take time to remember them um, and the work that they did for the kingdom. Uh, Today I'd like to uh, share a story with you about a man named uh, Horatio Spafford, a great man of the faith. Some of you might recognize that name. Um, Horatio Spafford, uh, after the Civil War, uh, became an entrepreneur. And uh, was a very, very successful businessman. He quickly grew into one of the most successful businessmen in Chicago. Chicago um, kind of made a big boom after the Civil War. Many people moved there, and the industry was growing along the lakeshore there uh, on Lake Michigan. And uh, Horatio Spafford was a big part of bringing business to Chicago. He was also one of the uh, biggest financiers for uh, D.L. Moody's trips around the world. The, the great evangelist, Dwight L. Moody, he spoke was a good, good friend of Moody and often would uh, donate land, resources, time, whatever it was. And In fact, Horatio Spafford is one of the reasons we have something called the YMCA today. Uh, he was instrumental in starting that up uh, with, with finances and land, giving it to Moody to start that in Chicago. And even though uh, it seems like Horatio Spafford, Horatio Spafford uh, was, a, was a, he was very successful and uh, independent businessman there was much tragedy in his life. Um, he had uh, five children and uh, he f- four girls and one son and uh, one winter his son became sick and uh, contracted pneumonia and quickly deteriorated and passed away. Several years after that although this the beginning part is just a legend of Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicking over the lantern to start the Great Chicago Fire, Uh, Horatio lost just about all of his buildings along the lakeshore of Lake Michigan. And although he was a successful businessman, I don't know uh, how it is now trying to prove that you own something, but imagine doing that in about 1880. Uh, You basically just have a paper trail of, of deeds and titles and things and uh, he lost just about uh, everything along the lakeshore. Thankfully, he still had all, all of his deeds. He was, he was a good businessman. He had all of the deeds and titles and that. And uh, after this tragedy, um, he, he realized his family had been through a lot, so he decided to join Moody, uh, uh, touring Europe. He was going to meet uh, Moody in London and go around Europe with the great evangelist, uh, touring, seeing the sights, and hearing the word preached. Uh, but the night before uh, they were meant to leave for this trip, he got a knock on his door from someone from the city saying, hey, there's going to be a meeting in two days, and uh, the biz- this, is, this is for the businessman that owned uh, any property that was lost during the Great Chicago Fire. And basically told him, if you're not there, there is no guarantee that you will be able to keep your land even if you have proof that you own it. So Horatio, uh, instead of canceling the entire trip, decided to delay himself, and he sent his four wives and daughters uh, on an ocean liner uh, across the sea, and he was going to join them uh, after after this meeting. But sadly, uh, the ship that was carrying his four daughters and wife uh, went into a heavy fog crashed into another ship, and sank in 12 minutes. And Horatio, hearing he heard about the, the tragedy, not knowing about what happened to his wife and daughters, got a telegram from his wife that simply said, rescued alone. He had lost all four of his daughters in that tragedy. And so obviously Horatio quickly packed up his things and went to London to join his wife in their time of grief. He had lost a son, he had lost much of his business, and he had lost his four daughters. And on the way over to Europe, he asked the captain of the ship to, to give him a general idea of probably where the ship went down, where he was going over, sadly, his, his four daughters most likely where th- where their bodies were. And so the, the captain came out and let Horatio know what had happened, and the remainder of the voyage, Horatio uh, spent his time writing, writing the song we just sang. It is well with my soul. And you might wonder how a man who's been through such incredible tragedy and such a fresh wound of tragedy could write words like that. And it's, it's all summarized in the in the last two verses about his sin being nailed to the cross and he bears it no more, and knowing that Jesus would one day return. That's how he could sing, It is well with my soul. And Horatio, although he was grief stricken, he was not spiritually blind. He knew probably where where his daughters had gone and where he was going for eternity. And in the midst of this sadness, because he was not spiritually blind, he could have hope. And that's uh, part of what we're going to be learning today in in Mark chapter 8. You can turn there if you haven't already. We're going to be in verses 22 through 26 in Mark chapter 8. And just to to summarize uh, some of the things that we've learned already in the book of Mark, I think if we're going to, we're going to understand uh, the passage we're reading. We always have to m- know where it falls within Scripture, why the writer put it where he did. So just to give a, a brief summary of Mark, we have, we have Jesus being baptized by John. That kind of opens, uh, opens the book. And then Jesus goes. Uh, just Mark just gives a very short summary that Jesus went into the wilderness and he doesn't really give an account of, of what happened in the wilderness. We know that from the other Gospels. And then Jesus comes back and begins preaching and healing. It's kind of the, the kickoff of his ministry was being baptized by John, and now he's preaching and healing in, in the first parts of Mark there. Then he begins to call his disciples. He calls Levi or, or Matthew, and he begins to call the other di- disciples to follow him. And he's, he's uh, kind of picking, picking his team for the next three years. Then next, uh, he deals with a lot of Sabbath stuff with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And uh, he he uses the Sabbath as an object lesson for the Pharisees who have become so uh, entangled with the Levitical law that they forgot the first two rules of the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Next, uh, there's, there's some teaching of, of parables and then the great story of Jesus calming the storm. One of my favorite stories in the Bible. And then it continues on. There's, there's more preaching, but they're also tied to miracles. And then what we've, what we've uh, kind of just been through um, was some miracles, but also the correction of the Pharisees. He was trying to help them understand. He was correcting uh, incorrect thought that the Pharisees had in teaching the law and through all this especially in the book of Mark we learn that Jesus is the master teacher of object lessons as as a teacher as one who teaches often I love object lessons whatever it may be maybe maybe it's something as simple as using a a flannel graph maybe it could be bringing in some science experiment to teach something about God but I love object lessons in Jesus just about every time he performs a miracle, he uses it as an object lesson. And this story is, is no different. Just to give you some, some proof that that's what he does, when he, teaches, when, he, when he feeds the 5,000 with bread and fish, he then takes his disciples and talks about he, how he is the bread of life. He uses many different parables to teach his disciples to to teach them the things that they that they should be understanding whether it's about a, a mustard seed or a, or a lost pearl and then also he uses the sabbath to teach about what god wants from us what god truly wants from us he uses the sabbath to teach the pharisees that lesson and to teach his disciples that lesson and and in this story i believe he uses the healing of a of this blind man to teach his disciples about who he is, about his own character. Often when we, when we read uh, a story about Jesus doing healing, we kind of leave it at that, and we don't examine maybe why he did it and focus more on how he did it. Let's jump into to Mark chapter 8, verses starting at verse 22 together. And they came to Bethsaida and brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village and after spinning on his eyes and, and laying his hands on him, he asked him, "Do you see anything?" And he looked up and said, "I see men, for I see them like trees walking around." Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and, looking intently, was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. It's, it's very interesting. This, this passage has some very interesting elements within it. Uh, this is the only account of this particular miracle happening in all four of our Gospels. Often there is some overlap, even if the story is, is written differently, or sometimes even different characters are presented within the story. There There's many stories that overlap each other, but this is the only time in the four gospels in the life of christ the the account that we have that this miracle happens, and also this is a very interesting miracle because this is the only time that jesus touches someone twice in a miracle he lays his hands on him and his vision is, is somewhat restored to where the man can see like see men like trees and then jesus touches him again and his full sight is restored it's very interesting and just so, just so we, we know some things about our main characters, we know about Jesus, but what about this blind man? So uh, disability in this time was viewed as, as uh, someone must have sinned. There was some sin in either this person's life or his parents' life. Something happened to cause this. He was, and, and in other words, he was cursed. Remember, if, if we know our Bibles, we know in John chapter 9, the disciples come to Jesus and like, who... Who sinned? Was it this man or his parent? And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. No, I, I do believe that, that sickness and often disability are, are tied because we, we live in a fallen world. We live in a sinful world. But it wasn't dir- as directly tied as most would believe. In fact, the, the blind, the lame, the mute, they, they were viewed as cursed. And we, we know that lepers were considered outsiders. So were these People, because they were viewed as not just clean, not just unclean, excuse me, on the outside, but also on the inside. They were spiritually unclean as well as physically. That's how they were viewed. And that's one of the things I love about Jesus. It's it's not doesn't just happen in, in this story, but in just about every miracle that he performs, Jesus shows his compassion. Jesus shows his compassion. In the first Two verses really show that. It says, And they came to Bethsaida and they brought a man, a blind man, to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked them, Do you see anything? Jesus shows his great compassion to someone who was considered untouchable. And to... To understand this, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna harken you back to maybe th- if if you're older and, and married, or if you've ever been on a date, one of the most intimate things you can do to show that you love someone, when you're you know you're kind of dating, you're 18, you're all excited, you hold hands, right? It's it that holding hands is kind of like a a proclamation, like hey, we're together, we love each other, and it's it's new, it's exciting. But it's also it's a, it's, a, it's a sign of intimacy. You don't just hold hands with everybody. If, could you imagine if I if 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 we went into we went to go see a movie and you know you're you're sitting next to the guy and you know that he's got his popcorn bucket on the thing and I just reach my hand in there with his hand. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? But if I do that with some if I were to do that with my wife, she would probably think it's very sweet. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> But Jesus shows his compassion by simply showing the value of a person, showing that this this person is a person before his disease. His disease or his disability does not define him. And he touches the man, something you were not supposed to do. And Jesus does this all throughout Scripture with his miracles, especially in the book of Mark, if you were to go go back to... uh, Chapter 1, in verse 30 and 31, it says, Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her, raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. Or if you were to go to uh, chapter 5, verses 40 through 43, it says, And they began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the, the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. Or if you go to chapter 6, verse 56, Mark gives a, kind of a, a broader uh, description of an account of healing. It says, Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying sick and in the marketplaces. They had been put out so Jesus might touch them and imploring him that they, just might, j- they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being healed. The compassion Jesus shows in, his, in a very physical way also translates to spiritual truth as well. This man was considered <coughs> excuse me, untouchable because of his condition. Untouchable. Filthy, gross, nasty, grimy, and then comes our perfect spotless lamb, and he touches him. Just to to help you think through this, I'm going to speak to the men here for a minute, and and some of the wives. When you're working outside, as we all do, you know, maybe you were mowing the lawn, or like sealing the driveway, something like that, you get kind of dirty. And I don't know about you, but I have the uncanny, uncanny ability that when I am dirty, I, and then I come into the house, for some reason, I touch something that my wife has just cleaned. Does this happen to anybody else? Maybe, maybe, and, and maybe it's, you know leaving grass clippings, you know, there's a little trail on the kitchen floor she just wiped, or something like that. The unclean touches the clean, and that's what. Jesus does, not just for this man, but for you and for me with his great compassion. Jesus not only uh, shows his compassion in, in this story, but we also find out that Jesus carries clout. He carries some clout. He carries some power. He carries influence in the healing. He, he, he spits on his eyes and lays hands on him and then it says in verse 24, And, look, and he looked up and said, I, I see men, for, for I see them like trees walking around. And again, he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored, and he began to see everything. Although this is the only mention of this story in the gospel, it is very, very interesting within scripture. We, we, we hear about quite a few blind men being healed, uh, especially in, in the gospels. And it's interesting. Every time, uh, this, this is this is a, this is a unique situation for a disability because every time a blind person is healed, Jesus is the one who heals them in Scripture. And even if you think about it, you think of—I uh, uh, was talking with someone about this once, and they're like, "Well, what about Saul on the road to Damascus? You know, Jesus took him blind, but Ananias healed him. Who sent Ananias? Do you remember? He had a vision of Jesus, and." I believe that if you, were to, if, you, if you read the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah, it is full of prophecy about the Messiah coming and healing those who are blind. Jesus carries clout. He not just has compassion, but he also has clout. He has the power to do something about his great compassion. And often we, we think about this when we, when we read about Jesus in the Gospels, we, we kind of separate, at, at least I do in my thought, I kind of have my Matthew, Mark, and Luke Jesus here, and then I have like the rest of the New Testament Jesus over here. But they're the same Jesus. I, I, I often struggle to think about him in, in the same way, showing compassion, but also carrying clout, not just to do healing, but to do many other great things and to show some of the clout that he carries for example just uh, the book of Colossians in in chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 it says for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form and in him you've been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority over all rule and authority he is the one who establishes our rule and authority I've heard Uh, a lot lately, from conservative Christians that so-and-so shouldn't be in office. But I guarantee you, I know the person who put that person in charge. We often think, oh, we got to get rid of this administration. I can guarantee you that our current administration, I don't know how he's going to do it, but Jesus, because of who he has in power all over the world, whether it's the president or our head elder, whatever it may be, those people, somehow, because of what Jesus is doing, glory is going to be brought to the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know how he's going to do it. If, if, if I were doing it, I wouldn't be doing it the way he's doing it. I think I know better, right? We think, we think we know better. Many of you in this room perhaps did not vote the same way as the majority of the rest of the country. But, and, and we, we try to, t- to know God's will. We try to understand what we think is best. But we have to understand that even when our vote may not seem like it counts, it doesn't matter because we know who's really in charge. He is the king of kings. In Ephesians, uh, Paul does an excellent job um, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, are, are form, just, they're just chock full of great theology about uh, Jesus and maybe a way that we don't always think of them. And if you read Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, you read about um, what, what Paul knows about Christ. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of of his inheritance of, in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us to those who believe? These are in accordance to the work in the, working in the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above ruler and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. So he's not just ruler of all authority. He's also the ruler of you and me because he is head of the church. Not just this church, but the global church. He is the head of the church. And just like he does with those in power in politics, he does the same things with those in power in politics ministry, whether it's a pastor or a deacon or an elder, he has put them there. Somehow, we may not see it, we may not have voted for that person, we may not think we can do a better job, but somehow God is going to bring the most glory through that person because he has put them there. It's going to be hard. If If you've been in church in any length of time, church, government, and politics is hard because people want different Things. but the thing that unites us in the, in the conversations especially this past year we've had uh, on the elder board is that first and foremost we love god then we love other people and if we can do those two things the rest of it's going to be really easy one of the things that that uh, people tell other people uh, who are just getting married what do they say about marriage they say what do they it's hard right it's hard and I've been married two and a half years, but I would contest that if a husband and wife love Jesus and love love each other, marriage is pretty easy. It takes work, sure. It takes time, sure. But what good thing doesn't? If you love Jesus and then then from that outpour you love each other, everything else is going to get a lot easier. I was recently asked by a friend, uh, why do Christians ask, have you read your Bible lately versus uh, have you, uh, you know, helped, your, helped your neighbor? How, what are some ways you help your neighbor? And I thought about that for a while. I was like, that's an interesting question because it seems more practical and, and better to do the second one to help our neighbor. But if we're not doing the first one, if we're not in his word constantly, if we're not praying constantly, if we're not in a right relationship with the king of kings, how can we love our neighbors well? We can't. We can't do it. We have to do the first one. That's why he ordered the Ten Commandments the way he did. You have to love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the order of things. That's how it works. Jesus carries cloud. He's the king of kings. He's the head of the church. But in Hebrews, uh, if, we, if you go to chapter 2, we also learn something else about our great Savior. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, uh, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. He's the king of kings, he's the head of the church, and also he's the head honcho of eternity. So often we think... <coughs> In, in kind of a, a finite sense. We think, oh, we're, we're here not for a long time, but for a good time, or something like that. You might, you might be here 80 years. You might be here two years. You might be here 100 years. But that's just here. The rest, you have the rest of eternity to consider as well. And Jesus, through his work on the cross, through, through taking a, a horrible beating, through being crucified on a tree, through dying, being pierced on his side through being buried, resurrected, and and being brought back to life on the third day, rendered death and Satan powerless. And he did that through his compassion and through his clout. He has power over everything. That's why he tells us to be anxious for nothing, but instead talk to him about everything. (coughs) Lastly, um, something I don't think we often think about uh, is, that I- I- is the timing of Jesus' healing. Jesus' healing always has the perfect climax. It always does. Whether it's physical or spiritual, it always has the perfect climax. It always has the perfect timing. We, as, as, as consumers, we love perfect timing, right? Maybe it's you, you pull the cookies out of the oven at the perfect time. But one of the things <clears throat> we love is a great uh, climactic scene, right? Luke, I am your father. We love that, right? We eat it up. We love that. Or maybe, uh, maybe if you're into the arts, you love when the guy with the half a mask is the creepy guy who hangs out in the theater. He's lived there forever. And he's singing for his love for this woman that he's been stalking. That's the, that's the Phantom of the Opera, by the way. <coughs> Or in sports, we love climax, right? We live for it. We want the game to come down to the wire, right? We love climax. And, and if you don't understand what perfect timing and climax is, I have a short video to show you what perfect, a perfect climax looks like. Stacy, if we could play that video, please. <laughs>
2: Toward the end zone, it is cut. Seattle's going to the Super Bowl! Jermaine Kurtz!
1: That is perfect timing! (laughs) Right? We love it, though. Does anyone, by the way, does anyone remember that? (laughs) I was going to do the field goal kick from last year from the 49ers, but I figured that was too fresh and too much salt in the wound. We love perfect timing. We love it. We love seeing how God is going to heal. And it's so amazing. Time after time when God heals, whether it's, whether it's spiritually or physically, we love hearing those stories. So we're going to do something a little bit different this morning than what we would normally do. Uh, we're actually going to take the next 10 minutes, and I want you to, Get into groups of about seven people whom you don't know maybe super well. You're going to share your testimony. You're going to take one minute. We're going to take about ten minutes. So everybody stand up. Stand up and we're going to move, move around and get into groups. I hope you got to know uh, maybe some faces that you have talked to a little bit but uh, maybe not know very, very well. Um, I hope you drew from that that God's, Timing is amazing, isn't it? Many stories, hopefully, that you shared were some, some examples of God's perfect timing of spiritual healing. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's through the death of a loved one. Sometimes you hit rock bottom. Sometimes a tragedy occurs. But God has brought us back to Him in His perfect timing. So just to, to wrap up our, our time in the Word today. Uh, As I said earlier, uh, Jesus is the master teacher of object lessons, and he often uses miracles uh, as object lessons, and this one is no different. If you were to continue reading in the book of Mark, you uh, run across Peter's uh, confession of Christ, and it's very, very interesting because Peter, you know, Jesus says, Peter, who do you say I am? And And Peter goes, well, the people say you're this. And he's like, well, who do you say I am? And Peter goes, well, you're the Christ. And then Jesus explains to Peter what's, because he is the Christ, what's going to happen to him. And then Peter rebukes Jesus, which looking back we can say is hilarious. But we do it all the time. Peter wanted Jesus, but he didn't want Jesus' plan. So often we want Jesus, but we don't want his plan. For Peter, it didn't make sense that Jesus would have to die to save. And often for us, it doesn't make sense how we have to die to ourselves to be saved and to do great things for the kingdom. If you read what Jesus says says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You have to deny yourself. It doesn't sound like a fun plan. It doesn't sound necessarily like a good time. But Jesus' perfect plan that's, that's been going on since before the foundations of the world were made, it's a perfect plan so that we might be saved, and spend eternity with the one who made us. So I urge you today, don't just want Jesus, but want his plan for your life. I can tell you right now that about two, two and a half, about three years ago, I was entering my my last year at Moody, and my roommate was a Packers fan. And uh, after a couple months of watching football games, I realized, like, I really don't want to move to Wisconsin. Seriously, not just because of him, but I was like, I don't, I don't want to move away from my hometown. I don't want to move away from Traverse City. I don't want to move away from my family. But that was, that's what God's plan was. And even through, through uh, the, the pandemic and many other things, it has been evident to myself and to, to my wife and, and even to our extended family that this is where we are meant to be. This is God's plan for our life. We don't know how long this is going to be for. We don't know if we're going to live here forever or just another year or two. We plan on sticking around, but it's not up to us. We love being here more than we ever thought we would, and we're very thankful, not, not just to God, but to God's people for being very welcoming to us and helping us know that this was, in fact, God's So I urge you today, want not only Jesus, but his plan for your life. Maybe that means switching jobs. Maybe that means moving. Maybe that means being single your entire life. Maybe that means uh, serving in children's ministry. Maybe that means working with youth. Maybe it means serving donuts. Maybe it means holding down the same job that you really don't like that much for 60 years. Whatever it may be, seek his plan. It's the best plan there is let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word and the life that it brings to us. Thank you for your constant teaching throughout the word, whether it's with miracles or parables, correction of the Pharisees, correction of us, or even in this passage, just just what seems like a simple miracle that you perform, but it's so much more than that because of who you are. Thank you for your great compassion towards us. Thank you that all that is required of us to be saved is to be touched by you. Thank you that you have the power not only to save us just from our sins, but for eternity, save us from death, that we no longer need to fear it. And thank you for your perfect timing, whether that's in our salvation, or our call to glory, or the healing of a loved one, Thank you for all of these things. In your name we pray, amen. this morning, let me uh, read you a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Have a great holiday weekend. See you next week.